You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Ryan Margolin, CEO of Professional Hair Labs, set out on a journey to help create the world-leading product in cosmetic bonding when his mother was poisoned by the harmful chemicals in the hair adhesive products commonly used in the industry. Inspired to keep the same thing from happening to anyone else, his family dove into the research and created their first hair care product free of harmful substances. Now nearly 20 years later, Ryan is an international business leader and an entrepreneur who works in more than 15 countries. He helps create sustainable services and products in industries full of subpar and even harmful options. Professional Hair Labs has expanded its manufacturing tenfold, grown to become one of the 500 fastest growing companies in the US over the last five years, and has sold more than 50 million in product globally. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you for joining us today. You've gained significant experience developing and selling care products over a long period and all over the world. Can you perhaps take us back with some background beyond the buyer? What were you doing and what got you focused in this niche? Yeah, so I, I grew up in the hair replacement industry. My my mother was a, uh, a master hair technician and my dad was a businessman. And um, my mother moved to New York from Ireland um, uh, when I was in the 70s. So uh, they, they ended up crossing paths and an opportunity uh, arose to acquire a hair replacement studio. And that kind of kicked off the journey from there. They had, um, they had hair replacement studios in New Jersey, New York, and Florida. And what happened was uh, in, in the 90s, my, my mother uh, got chemical poisoning from the products that she was using. Ooh, and it forced wow. her, yeah, it forced her into early retirement. Um, so with that, you know, with that event happening, it kind of changed a lot for the both of them. And it pushed my dad down a road of selling up the companies and moving into uh, focus. His focus then shifted to manufacturing a safe product line for technicians and hair uh, hair wearers, people who were wow. wearing hair pieces or wigs. So what you know, what he found was that over over the time that you know a technician was working with products, and there was only select few on the market at that point, and you know there was one or two that were very popular. But they contained a lot of chemicals. And obviously, you know, even with correct ventilation, it takes an impact on your health, you know, with the technician using them all day. So that that's really where it all started in 94. You know, he launched his first, uh, you know, small product line and it kind of built from there. Um, I joined the company in 2009 and my two brothers subsequently joined a few years after. And, you know, together we started to build on, you know, the mission that my dad started, which was providing the hair replacement industry with safe, effective solutions. Uh, That methodology carried us through then to uh, developing further product lines and different, you know, niches of of, of the hair industry. And ultimately moved us into beauty and and, and skincare, where we're currently developing, uh, I think at the moment we have about 30 different products we're in the pipeline of, um, of launching this year. So um, it, it's really been a, an eye-opening experience uh, learning the different nuances you know, to the industries as we move into them. Uh, but nevertheless, we aim to still carry that methodology that the, you know, the company was built on. So that's, that's, uh, that's, where, that's where, what brought us to here. 
Absolutely fascinating. What a diverse range of products. So can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into the company? Give us some ideas of of what you're manufacturing and, you know, where you're working. Sure. So we have two locations. Uh, our headquarters in, in the U.S. is located in Zephyr Hills in Florida. Um, you know, we, yeah, we have a 17,500 square foot facility there, and we're currently in the process of adding about another 15,000 square feet to that. Uh, in Ireland, in it, where we kind of host our global distribution network, um, we have a 10,000 square foot facility, but we're just in the process of expanding to over 50,000 square feet uh, for our production. So a, a lot of our manufacturing takes place in Europe. Um, the you know the requirements and the uh, the regulations are much stricter. So you know you always end up getting higher quality products that are you know, tightly regulated. So, um, you know, we, we found that that was the best place to position our, our main menu, our principal manufacturing facility. And, and, and that's what's, uh, that's what's brought us here. Fantastic. So do you find there are advantages to manufacturing in-house or do you partner with, with other companies? Where's the benefit lie in those? Yeah. So we have experience on both sides of that. I mean, ultimately at the very beginning, uh, we were doing a lot of contract manufacturing with other manufacturers. There were our formulas we developed, but naturally, you know, you need equipment, you need resources, you need chemists, yes. um, you need a team of people. So we didn't have that at the very beginning. So we had to rely on the experience of other uh, contract manufacturers to help us, um, you know, make sure that our product was consistent. Uh, it was as the customers expected it and that the standards were kept to a uh, to the highest uh, as possible because that that's really what we expect from our product line. Uh, what we realized is that over the years, um, our product supply chain was pretty much regulated by uh, the the availability of raw materials from the contract manufacturers. And as you can imagine, I mean, with many contract manufacturers, you have clients who would order smaller amounts, you have clients who order bigger amounts. And yeah. look, we were we were the small fish in a big pond. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it put a lot of uh, hindrance on our supply chain for some time. So yeah. that kind of led us in the direction of taking control of that and reinvesting in the company ourselves and moving down the line of manufacturing. So um, with that said, we... Um, we brought on a good team of consultants. We hired you new know, chemists uh, and we hired a good team around us to advise us on building that out. And within you know, a couple of years, we had a, a full purpose lab um, with all, all the machinery and, and the, uh, the, the, the equipment we needed to run in-house testing and development. Um, we then you know, acquired and invested in all of our mixing machinery, which we're currently expanding on this year. Um, uh, you know, to kind of fall in line with our, you know, square footage uh, improvements uh, here in Ireland. So it's, um, you know, look that there, there, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts within those two, those two sides of manufacturing or supply. And, um, you know, we found that there was, you know, for us and the way we wanted to run the company and the services we wanted to provide, we found more consistency and more reliability and controlling it ourselves rather than outsourcing it. Absolutely. You know, it must be really challenging and yet pretty exciting to go through this tremendous change. And I don't know if your father's still around, but I mean, he must be really impressed and surprised with what you've managed to do with the little company that he originally founded. 
Yeah, look, I, I, you know, I can't answer for him. He, he would have to answer for himself. But, you know, the key, he, he works with us, you know, on a high level consulting, awesome. uh, uh, you know, from a high level consulting aspect at the moment. Um, look, I mean, he's 80 years old. So, you know, it's, it's his time now to enjoy, enjoy watching, you know, what happens yes. from this point forward. So, and he's happy to do so. Um, you know, look, it, it's, yeah, it, it's been a journey for him. You know, look, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the whole motivation behind the company was, was built around, you know, a negative, you know, situation, yes. but we've ended up turning it into something positive and he has turned that into something positive. And, you know, I'd like to hope that, you know, today he stands proud of, of what's been achieved to date because we are, um, we are moving forward with, you know, safety for our safety first model in mind. And that's the way we we always have operated. Yeah, and that was a principle on which he was founding the company. So it's really fantastic that you've been able to take it and expand on the product offering and the variety of what you're actually doing on a daily basis and yet have kept that that founding principle in place. Do you manufacture all of your product lines almost next to each other within the same facility? Or do you find you have to split it up according to whether it's, say, hair care versus beauty versus all the rest of the lines? No, you would. The difference would be in the testing phase of, of the development. I mean, all, all of the development pretty much takes place in the one lab, um, and we have a, a fairly sizable lab now at this point with uh, with the different types of equipment for the different types of products. But uh, realistically, when you move into you know your stability and challenge testing phases, where you're testing, you know, is the product stable? Does it hold up to the different climates? Last thing you want is to send a product out, you know, let's say to you know Dubai where, you know, it's very hot and, you know, you realize it holds up better in a, in a colder country than it does in a warmer country. So uh, the requirements of the testing, you know, are, are, are hugely important. And, you know, when we develop products and test them, that we separate them via those phases rather than the type of product it is. Oh, that is fascinating. Really awesome to hear that. So you've actually grown enormously. Are there challenges to scaling when you're actually doing the manufacturing and development yourself as well? Yeah, there's two sides to that. There's a ton of challenges, really, because you're getting used to a whole different way of managing and rotating, you know, stock and the stock Mm. in this case is raw materials. So, you know, you don't want to be holding on to too much, but at the end of the day, you still need an ample amount or, you know, a, a suitable amount of, of raw material in stock to produce. Um, and, you know, the relationships with raw material suppliers are really what's important. Um, the more, the, the better relationships you build, um, you know, obviously in, the, in your company growing, um, you're able to acquire more and make sure you don't run out. Uh, typically, we, we like to run with, you know, a 20 to 30% uh, stock overage, which basically means to facilitate our growth or even the growth of some of our, you know, uh, private label or custom formula uh, customers. Um, we have, you know, ample, you know, product in stock to where we don't have to turn around to them and say, actually, we, we can't make your product for six to eight weeks because we can't get stuck. So nice. that, that, that there's a, there's a big learning curve with that because it's yes. not, it's not as simple as, you know, okay, we're going to order an extra, you know, 30 or 40,000 bottles to hold in stock here. You're, you're talking about, uh, materials that expire, you know, so yeah. It's, it, it's it, it, it was a huge learning curve, but look, we're 
we're, we're, we manage it very well and we manage it under the, you know, the strictest of ISO guidelines because um, that's what we're held accountable for. Uh, so, you know, look, it's, it, it, it works. That's fantastic. I must admit, I've spent a lot of time in, in my career in manufacturing companies and I, I don't at the moment. I live in a place where there's, there is less manufacturing, so I'm less involved with manufacturing. But it's a very exciting but a very, very challenging world. You know, it's, it's really it, fun. Yeah, and you know what? For me, the, the enjoyment is, you know, so if you take – my position 10 years ago, you know, it was about, it was about learning and yes. improving and pushing the boundaries of what we think is possible. But now uh, my role would be a lot different. And my enjoyment actually comes from putting the power in everyone else's hands and watching them flourish and watching them push those boundaries themselves. Awesome. And that enables us to push the level of innovation we have in house. So um, it, 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 you keep the same, you keep the same core structure, but it just changes, you know, it did you, your, your, the, the way you interact with the company changes, the way you view the company changes. And, you know, you're forced into the position of, you know, if you continue to hold yourself back and, and continue to keep yourself in the day-to-day -day running of everything, that's exactly where the company is going to stay. You, you need to be able to let transfer responsibility, let people grow and allow people the opportunity to experiment and explore because, you know, I, I, I know this now, you know, even looking at it from the position of a scientist or a chemist, that's really where the passion goes for them because they're developing, you know, and they're, they're creating new things. Yeah. So I would suggest you've become a people first company on, on both the product side, as well as the actual operational and organizational side. Now you are a family business. What do you think is different in running as a family business versus a more hierarchical, traditional kind of company? Yeah, look, I've, I've worked in both, um, you know, before coming into the company here, you know, I, I've worked in, you know, a, a company, a large company that wasn't a family business. And it is very different, you know, um, mm -hmm. but I think the key when we're working in a family business, and I think the most important thing that is shown is that. Ultimately, no matter how many mistakes you make, the ability to communicate is, you know, you're much more open with it, with a familiar. Interesting. And uh, that's what I found anyway. I mean, look, it's yeah. not a one size fits all type of mm -hmm. uh, approach, but I found myself is that some of our biggest growth has come from the simplest of operations. And, you know, some of our biggest growth and overcoming challenges has come from just opening our mouths and speaking. And uh, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we're people, egos get in the way. And yep. uh, I think the key part is having the ability to let that go and actually look at look at it from, you know, a bird's eye perspective rather than a how is this making me feel perspective. Because sometimes the feeling inside that you have, whether it's making you feel uncomfortable, could be coming from multitude of places. It could be coming from insecurity. It could be coming from a, a control perspective. Um, when you remove yourself from that and just take a look at it for what it is, I think that's when you really have the ability to problem solve at a much higher level. And I think when you're working, for me, working with my brothers, that's enabled us to do that. And uh, I think that's been a huge help for us. Yeah, very, very valuable. Now, you are, are international on a large scale. Did you set out to go international at a fairly early stage or was it something that came with the evolution of the business? Uh, it came with the evolution of the business. So 
back in 2009, it, the, the company was solely based in the U.S. Um, okay. I So from me from the outside looking in, I spent the first six months learning about the intricacies of the business, even though I've grown up around it. Um, what I found was that um, there was a different way to do things. So with some very simple changes and very simple marketing changes, um, you know, we tripled revenue in 18 months. Wow. And that that gave me the foresight to see, okay, look, we, we have something here that we know, number one has been validated. We, the market is there for it. The real question is, is how much further can we push the marketplace? Because some of the technologies that exist in the States hadn't really been, you know, being used globally in Europe or the rest mm-hmm. of the world. So uh, in 2011, uh, we invested in opening the EU part of our operations uh, with the aim of doing the same thing we did in the United States, taking the same methodologies, taking the same uh, principles, and just going for it. And uh, nice. first six months fell flat in its face. Interesting. So, yeah. So the biggest learning curve out of that for me was that, you know, look, what works in one country doesn't work in others. And there's a different way of doing business. There's different cultures. There's different, uh, you just have to approach things differently and view things differently. And um, it took me another six months to really navigate those waters. And um, we eventually built the business uh, here when we got over those challenges and it started growing bit by bit, uh, year by year. And uh, that enabled us to move into other parts of the world. So this wasn't really a project initially that I would have seen as being an international possibility. Um, but very quickly after we started, I saw the, 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 the potential um, and it would have been a shame not to at least explore it. And if we hadn't explored it, we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing. Um, and we wouldn't be here, you know, looking to the future thinking, okay, well, what else is achievable and what else is possible? Right. And at a certain level, you would have deprived a whole lot of, fantastic customers of the opportunity to use products that are like yours, that are safe and a really good alternative. But I do agree with you that cultures and just different ways of doing things in different companies have a really large bearing. One of the roles when I first moved to Canada, because I've lived in various places around the world, and when I first moved to Canada, the, one of the big companies I joined, I was specifically recruited for that aspect because they had a company that was largely local. They'd become international. And the comment was they just are not realizing that in other parts of the world, things are done a very different way. Now, when you went international, or in fact, all the time, have you found that you encounter counterfeiting a lot? And how do you deal with that aspect when the product, somebody tries to copy or or, or, or uh, invade your space with artificial products, shall we call them? Yeah. So th- this this was a big catching point for us and for me personally, not even professionally, but on a personal level, because the, uh, our most popular cosmetic bonding adhesive, Ghost Bond, was counter- started to be counterfeited about four years ago. Oh, and wow. the moment I saw that happening, it's almost uh, it's it's almost a an initial just adverse feeling. You're just like everything that you that you do on a daily basis is now being challenged and being undermined and undercut by somebody who's 
or a company that's putting, you know, subpar performing products with chemicals in them in a bottle with your label and passing it off as your own. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first day I saw it and it didn't really, you know, I was like, oh, wow, should I be taking this as a compliment or should I be annoyed at this? And I was a little bit annoyed, but um, it was only one listing. And I was like, okay, you know what? Look, that's fine. We'll deal with it. Within three months, it was 30 listings. Within another wow. six months, it was 500 listings, 1,000 listings, 2,000 listings, up to the point where we were losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. And we realized, and this this goes into the IP protection side of things. You know, yeah. if somebody, somebody would ask me my advice on what are the, the key the key countries to uh, protect your, 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 your trademark or your brand or your company name, whatever. Um, I would say, you know, for me, it would be the USA, uh, EU trademark and Chinese trademark, because ultimately when it comes down to it, um, most of the counterfeiting starts in China. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, look, we, we went through a huge, uh, uh, challenge trying to get a, get a hold of these uh, counterfeiters and these, uh, you know, these, um, these, these, really poor quality products that were being passed off as ours. So they had managed to penetrate our distribution channels. And oh, uh, wow. that, to me, that was the point where it became, okay, we really have to invest high level resources into this because this isn't a case where somebody's selling a bottle to somebody across the world online no. and they're, they're contacting us. This is, these are companies who are now buying our product thinking it's ours and yes. they're buying it very, very cheap. So, you know, the whole thing has evolved dramatically. You know, they were buying for $1.50 a bottle from China. They were selling for $12 uh, when it hit the retail market. But what the counterfeiters realized is that selling at $12 was a telltale sign. It was a counterfeit. So what they did is they bumped it up to our normal retail price to cover it. And um, so we, we, we did it. We, we, did, we invested very heavily in our systems and we changed our packaging um, and we developed our own anti-counterfeit uh, application. Uh, so basically, we're, we're very close to launching that over the next couple of months, uh, where it's going to be impossible for these counterfeiters to replicate our system. And if it's not a legit product, uh, the customer who's buying it will be able to tell very quickly and uh, report it to us. So, you know, we'll be able to collect the data in the areas that we need. That is very, very valuable. And I'd suggest some of the listeners of this podcast, if they're interested in learning about beating counterfeit, they should perhaps reach out and have a chat because it sounds like you have walked a really hard road to get a handle on that aspect. Yeah, in the last couple of years we have, and you know what, it's not over yet and it will never be over. Uh, there will always be an element to that, but I think if you position your product well enough to make it clear to consumers what is and what isn't, you're going a long way to, you know, to, to, to combating that because look, this isn't and not to take away from, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, brands, you know, that like whether they're whether it's clothes or handbags or whatever, but these are cosmetics. You're putting them on your skin. Yeah. You know, uh, it, there is a big difference. And, you know, look, no matter, you know, like all of our products are, you know, uh, registered with the FDA, they're registered with the European Cosmetic Portal. Then you've got these products who are just passing it off. And it's very difficult to. Uh, it's very difficult to see when you, you get complaints that where people are getting burns and, and yes. you you come to find out that it's not a legitimate product. And uh, it's hard to have that conversation because, you know, you feel very bad because it's the one thing that you went into this industry to stop happening, you know? Yes. So, but people will do what they need to do to make a quick book. 
No, so, so true. And, you know, there's a large risk from your perspective because the liability comes back at the company because your brand name is on that product. And it takes a lot of effort to argue out of it. Yes, you'd probably escape it eventually, but it doesn't do any good from a public relations perspective or the waste of management time and resources in the process is horrendous. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, for, for us, so like I'm the type of person when I see a challenge in front of us, it's like, okay, well, number one, how do we deal with it? Number two, how can we turn this negative into a positive? So rather than look at it as, you know, oh, you know, these counterfeiters are, di- are penetrating our distribution channels all over the world. Um, we kind of took a little bit of a different view on it. It was like, okay, well, look, you know, we can actually see our products are in this country and this country and this country. And we never were in the past. So let's actually come in underneath this and let's start to turn that negative into a positive, start to educate people as to, you know, the fact that they do have counterfeits in their possession. Here's the legit product and here's how you can acquire it. And let's see if we can take back some of that market share because look, it hasn't been all negative. It's about, we've had to do a lot of brand, you know, repair, reputation repair from that perspective, but it is possible to do it. It just takes, as you said, a lot of resources. Yeah, but that's a fantastic approach to take because there obviously was a demand in some of those markets that you were not yet in. And one can look at it from the positive perspective of, okay, well, there's a demand there, so let's go there. Let's let's expedite this and get in. So building this business, you must have had significant challenges along the way. Can you identify any particular tricks or secrets that you've had that have made you so successful? I I, I think it's about, you know, the individuals who are, um, who are in the everyday running of the company. And it's, it's, it's about allowing ownership of the roles and responsibilities. For me, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, it's very rare that a business problem exists. Usually a business problem exists when somebody has a personal issue that's reflecting in the business. So mm-hmm. for me, I always look at it as when you've got non-operational challenges inside of a business, you go to yourself first. And it's it's about you know teaching people to look at it that way. And when you are able to do that, nine times out of 10, the problem can be solved. So, you know, getting to that level, like what got you, you know, from say a hundred thousand to a million is much different than what gets you from a million to 10 million, you know? And once you go past that 10 million to 50 million mark, there, there's other changes that have to be made. And the only thing that changes outside of the systems, in my opinion, is the people and, and the people who grow and they grow with the company, they learn about the company and they learn about themselves. So I think the most important key to success apart from your, your, your strategies and, and what you implement to get there is the development of individuals. And, and to me, without that, you can't move forward because you can put the best system in, in, in place. But if you haven't got capable people uh, of moving with that system and moving with the evolution of that system and looking at themselves and how they can contribute to this along the way, it's going to be very difficult. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Now, there are quite a lot of entrepreneurs as we uh, go through our our business careers. We see many who are really successful and some of them just really do seem to struggle. Have you noticed any particular characteristics that differentiate the two groups? Yeah, it's uh, – well – 
you know what? I suppose this the answer for this would come just from the way I look at this, and it's it, look again. It's not a one size fits all, but the, no. to me, the characteristic is you know that insatiable need to you know to grow, that insatiable need mm. that the job is never done. It's you know I would love we like if we have a milestone to say hey listen you know we want our lab done by X amount of time we want our first product to the market by X amount of time. When that time comes for me, I never really truly get excited about that because for me, it's like, okay, check the box. We're done next. You know, that that's just my mindset. And, and what I find is that people who consistently grow and consistently hit those, you know, check those boxes, they're not focused on what they've done. They're only focused on what comes after. And, you know, some people might say, well, you don't allow yourself any time to kind of bask in the moment and enjoy the not the fruits, but the, the enjoyment of achieving, but it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, I can't explain it any other way is that like, you know, look, it's just the job is never done. So you got to keep going. Um, That's the common theme that I've seen between, you know, people who have, you know, built something from the ground up and achieve success versus, you know, some people who, you know, really want it and um, just, don't really get there because the, the, the personal changes are not, uh, are, are not being made. You know, they, yeah. that, that's just my experience. And it, look, it's not, it, it's not across the board for everyone. I understand that, but from, from, you know, my experience over the last 10 years and, you know, even, you know, my friends who I've seen grow extremely successful businesses, um, it, it, it's been that it's just been, it's been one after another, check the box and move on. This is what we got to do. And there's no time to stop. Yeah, yeah, that, that the eyes on the horizon constantly, yeah. and that horizon is out there, and we're, yeah. we're coming, but we're going to try and catch it, and we're never yeah. quite going to get there. Yeah. I mean, it, it can have benefits and and um, psychological impact at times where one doesn't achieve an objective, but I'd say the majority of entrepreneurs are fairly optimistic. And they'll have a setback, but they pick themselves up, dust themselves off, and off we go again. Let's let's get to the yeah. next milestone. So. Absolutely, and they're not afraid to fail. And I think that's the I think that's the key thing is that you know, like even if you look at maybe some conversations that you you might have had over the years with people or family or whatever, and you know they're like, oh, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, that that can't happen. It's like, you know, stop projecting your fears on me. It's like I'm not afraid take that jump and make that mistake and learn from it because it only really becomes a fail as the saying goes, if you stop and, you know, it's like, you know, you keep learning. I mean, show me someone who, who, who is a successful person that hasn't made many mistakes along the way. It's the one thing you don't learn a crazy amount from the wins. It's from the losses that you get the information, you know? Yeah. So, so true. Now as a manufacturing company and, and having to, invest and carry an awful lot of inventory have you found you've been able to self-fund along the way or has the funding proved to be challenges at times um so we, we're fully self-funded we, we don't have any awesome. investment we've done it ourselves we chose to do it ourselves and there have been times where it's been i, I wouldn't say stressful but there's been strain absolutely um because you see this goal you want to hit and you're just like oh, if we only had x amount more sales over the last you know quarter we would have hit it but um, for the for the most part, you know, look, it's uh, we we've been fairly consistent with our targets. Um, nice. You know, over COVID, we we had we it was peaks and valleys all over the place for the first six months of COVID. But um, 
you know, look, we, we, we came out when things reopened in the United States after a short period of closures, we, we came out very strong and it, and it enabled us to make up for, you know, whatever losses we had in the, the, the few months prior. But, uh, yeah, no, it, look, we've been self-funded and, and uh, there has been strain, but nothing that's really stopped us in our tracks. Oh, that's very, very fortunate. So the impact of COVID, did you find that it was hitting you on both the demand side as well as the supply chains? Uh, no. So we got hit more on the supply chains rather than oh. the demand side because what happened was obviously in COVID when everything shut down um, and, you know, brick and mortar, like in Europe, everything literally closed. Um, yeah. In the U.S., some select places closed and others stayed open, but the demand online remained consistent because people were buying stuff and having it delivered to their house. So the demand was still there. Our challenge was the supply. So we had to do a lot of pivoting during those times to actually make sure we were hitting our targets as much as possible. And look, we, you know, for the first few months, we didn't hit them um, because we, like anything, when you're implementing a new system, unfortunately, no matter how fast you want to move, you can only move as fast as, you know, the help and support that you can get. Yes. So, um, you know, we did figure it out and we did make up for it. Um, but it was it was a pretty hairy few months. Oh, I bet. No fun at all. I mean, no. looking back on it now, it was probably impressive what you actually accomplished. Yeah, because we, we had to do two different things on two different sides. So in the United States, it was about it was about fulfilling the demand that we couldn't get to our supply chain because the brick and mortar stores weren't open and some of our suppliers and hair replacement studios weren't ordering. In Europe, it was a little different. So we had we, we we had an opportunity to take advantage of uh so we weren't classified in Europe as a as a non-asset or as a non as sorry, we weren't classified in Europe as an essential business. So what? basically the rule was in Ireland specifically, if you're a non-essential business, you had to close completely and that was it. Mm. Um so we were like, okay, well look, what can we do? We have manufacturing capabilities, we have formulation capabilities. So what can we do to keep our doors open and classify ourselves as an essential business? So what most distilleries did and what most other people did, we, we developed within 48 hours a, uh, a sanitizer formulation and we started manufacturing sanitizer. Fantastic. So it kept everyone in jobs. It allowed us to open up some relationships we didn't have previously because we didn't really, we weren't in the sanitizer game at all. Um, but it kept money rolling in the doors and kept everything open. So I can honestly say, and something that I do stand proud of, during that that really hairy period, we we didn't have to let anyone go. You know, everyone kept their jobs, and to me, that was the most important thing because you've got families that are relying on the positions. You know, you've got you've got our company that's relying on people turning up and doing the job, and um, you know, we without us fighting for them, you know, and and fight and fighting for for you know for our team, what hope do we have? You know, it's like we need to keep these doors open. So um, that's that's what we did, and uh, that you know, coincidentally led to us developing a full range of, of different sanitizer products. And uh, it was in addition to, to our line. So again, we turned that negative into a positive and uh, we did the best we could. Fantastic. So yet another diversification in your product line. A certain part of it was actively planned and some of it was fortuitous, but it's pivoting on the spot like entrepreneurial company you are. Yeah, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that none of that would have been possible unless the team was there to help execute it and, and come up with the ideas because um, I feel, you know, look, 
there, there's so many moving parts, you know, to, to a company um, that if you don't have help, you, you just can't do it yourself. It's impossible. Yeah, no, so true. And and it just builds in the, the entrepreneurial feel for your entire team because they're allowed to try and fail. Yes, they've got you behind them. At the end of the day, you are the backstop. But, uh, you know, it's probably the energy that is propelling you forward is your team. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Without that, yeah, you will lose momentum quicker than – anything you've ever experienced. If your team is not in alignment uh, with, with, with the goals and, and where where you want to go, you're going to struggle. It's absolutely phenomenal. What trends do you see in the industry? Well, one could potentially question if you're not in a couple of different uh, niches now, but uh, what trends do you see coming in the next, say, three to five years? Well, from a product's perspective, I mean, people are more focused on healthy skin and, and healthy ingredients. So, you know, there is an eco, uh, there is an eco angle to, you know, the development of our products now because, you know, everyone is moving towards, you know, a more sustainable way to manufacture. So, you know, rather, you know, even from, let's say from an essential oils perspective, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got different ways to extract those oils, um, you know, some of them are not not great, you know, ethically and 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 environmentally friendly, um, and then there's others that are just much more sustainable. And we're you know we're always taking that approach when it comes to the formulation um, processes that that we use to develop our products. But you know, in terms of operations, um, where we're really focused on at the moment is um, you know we're we're really focused in on our lean manufacturing processes at the moment mm-hmm. to make sure that as we expand we have a very very good understanding of our numbers and what our costs are because when they get out of hand um and you don't and you don't understand them as well as you need to uh, your margins get hit and when your margins get hit that's that's really you need to make sure that what's going out the door is hitting the correct margins it allows you to remain competitive in the marketplace as well because look there's a lot of manufacturers on the planet you know and they they have a lot of different ways they do business um, but ultimately when it comes down to it, they have margins they have to hit. And in order for you to remain competitive, you have to know what those margins need to be. So I, I think ultimately if you, if you're in the manufacturing space and you're not really focused on that and how you can improve costs with automation, um, in terms of, you know, the internal, uh, mechanics of your filling and, 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 and manufacturing line, then, um, you know, look, it, it's going to be a tough road. Absolutely. And I mean, I I love that you're obviously very focused on the numbers. And it's insane the number of companies I move in to help and find that, quite honestly, they've got product A subsidizing product B and wondering why they're losing money. And it happens so easily. It's just... uh, Yeah. And look, we, I wouldn't say we were in that type of position, but, you know, look, only, no. you know, matter of five years ago, uh, it, it was a different scenario for us where, you know, look, when it came to manufacturing uh, certain product lines, we didn't have a truly, you know, uh, accurate reflection. And we, we saw very quickly how important it was. And that's when we started to make the changes. But there, going back to what you said, it's, uh, there, there are companies that, that wait a year and they're wondering why they're losing X amount of money. And, you know, it turns out that one product is literally subsidizing the other, you know, when it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to. Yeah. yeah. Like for, for us, our biggest learning curve, especially when it came to the manufacturing 
we were looking at one product and it's like, okay, we haven't experienced much, much growth in this product, but really where the value came wasn't in trying to figure out where the, so the value for us wasn't in trying to figure out, you know, okay, you know, what organic methods are returning the most, you know, value for us or what advertising methods are returning the most value. We we're actually starting to see that the, the biggest growth is coming when you, you create, you know, cross-functional products. And right. that's, uh, that that's really where we're starting to see the biggest trend is that people are no longer coming in and looking for, Hey, you know, look, I know I need this adhesive product and they take it. They're like, okay, well, you know, look, I know that there's a process that comes with using this product. I also need this product and this product. And when you bring them together, we're starting to see a lot more value in, in our orders, both uh, in a B2C and a B2B uh, environment. Very interesting. Yeah. That is really awesome. So what um, worries and excites you as you look out into the future? Well, I, I suppose what excites me is just, you know, watching us continue, continuously grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I, as I said earlier, my excitement comes from watching the achievements of everyone on the team, like, you know, whether it's down in the lab and, you know, I'm watching the final part of the process where they're creating a new, you know, moisturizer and, and I'm actually watching, uh, you know, three months of, you know, product development and, you know, innovation come together for that particular team. And that that's where I get the excitement because I know if they're excited about it and they have the flexibility to, you know, to, to experiment, I know we, we've got a good culture and a good environment. And, you know, it, that, that's, you know, that, it, that, that to me is a part of the company that, I will always focus in on and try to make the best as possible because if you don't have a comfortable working environment or a comfortable, um, you know, a, a culture in, in, in the company, it's going to be very difficult, you know, to, to, to allow people to enjoy their position or their role. You know, I want them to be in here every day and, 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 you know, this to be the place that they want to be, not the place yes. they feel they have to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah, really, really fun. So do you have any thoughts in closing, perhaps anything that we haven't discussed yet or anything for the listeners? No, look, I mean, when it comes down to it, I think no matter, you know, when, you know, whether you have a business that's generating, you know, 1000 a month, 10000 a month, 100000 a month, whatever it may be, you know, ultimately the key for, for any type of growth is just um, focusing on yourself first. And, you know, look, maybe it's a case of where, if you don't have, and this was said to me a long time ago, if you don't have the company you want, you haven't grown into the person that you need to be to run it, you know? So um, I think if you're constantly looking inwards, I think it's the the, the, the key starting point. And, um, you know, look, there's there's times where, you, you know, your company is growing and you, you feel like, you know, so overwhelmed and so inundated with tasks and work. Um, but the fear of actually bringing someone in to help alleviate that because you're, you're, you're going into your hiring phases and everything. You have to just, uh, you have to just let that be and accept that for what it is, because you've got to take one step back to take five steps forward. It's always the case, you know? Right. Right. Very, very true. And yeah, it can be painful, particularly in small companies of, of thinking, You've got to bring someone in. There's the extra cost. There's the what are they going to do? How do I set them up? How do I make uh, them think and do what I do? Yeah, um, and, and 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 how how do we generate more revenue to pay for this? Because ultimately, if you're if you're you know a, a single business owner, you're just in the process of building a team. 
naturally you're going to look at, okay, well, look, I have to give this up to do this, but that's the whole trade-off the whole way through. Like, look, we've got a very, we've got a very small company with, you know, 20 plus employees. And um, it's always, it's always that we have to, you know, there's always going to be a trade-off, you know what I mean? And it's, you don't even look at that anymore. You get used to not looking at it become, because you know, it's actually what's required to keep things going. If you constantly look at your company is like, oh, well, if I do this, that means I don't get this. You'll never grow. It, it, it will be impossible. No, very, very true. And, and the, the, the sooner you learn that and then practice it repeatedly, the the more the growth probably does start kicking in. That's oh, and you forget you forget about it. Then you know it's it becomes just second nature. It's like you know it's, to, it's just a part of the process. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Us as human beings, we've got to exercise that practice muscle of ours, and then we get comfortable with it and move on to the next uncomfortable thing. That's it. Yeah, and and you know the the, the one other thing that that is is vitally important to remember is that you know the moment you you feel complacency creeping into your company the pain is coming right behind it so for me that 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 was a huge learning curve it was like you know the moment you're like oh my god this is great we're 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 it's, we're overachieving on our goals and our targets and uh you know look you're like let's just ride this wave and see where it goes but no sooner than you take your foot off the pedal the pain comes right behind it so don't don't let that part fool you when you start to you know when you start to find success and hit your goals and that success as you said could could be an extra thousand a month it could be ten thousand a month whatever it may be just keep going don't don't stop just keep going yeah very valuable because that that way the pain can't catch you just keep running (laughs) you just got to keep running from it yeah it's good to experience some of it because it helps you grow but if you can plan to stay ahead of it, then, you know, look, there's pain in that too, because it requires a lot of forward thinking and a lot of, you know, changes, but I know which side of the pain I'd rather be on, to be honest. Yeah, so, so true. The the successful pain is is way less painful. Yeah. So look, if if your company is is growing, it will always feel broken in some capacity, you know, and and that's it. You know, it'll never feel like it's there. Yeah, very valuable to hear that from someone that has been quite as successful as you have over these years. So if listeners want to contact you and or learn more about the company, how can they do that? Uh, yes, yeah, so look, our website is ProHairLabs.com. Uh, look, we're on every social media channel on the planet. Uh, so we've got Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, Pinterest, everything. Um, or LinkedIn, you know, um, you know, look, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm actively on LinkedIn. So if there's any, uh, if there's anyone listening that has, you know, any questions or even just, you know, wants some information or is interested in starting a brand um, in, the, in the beauty or hair space, we're, we're, you know, we're here to discuss that. Fantastic. I will pop those in the show notes on the show notes page so that people can find them if they happen to be listening on the run and want to circle back. Thank you very much for joining us today. So much learning and such a fantastic company that you are managing to build. And I think we're going to have to watch because it sounds very much to me like the sky's the limit. There's a lot more coming down the road for you. Absolutely. And listen, thanks for having me on. It's been a great experience. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, 
Google Play and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing and download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.